0: spring, right? Allergies are kicking in, or should be soon. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. And let me say this. um, My wife and I could probably sit back and tell you that nine years ago, we would have never imagined, uh, honestly, and I'll make this sound, we would have never imagined what the Lord would do in a nine-year period. Number one, it's amazing how fast nine years goes. For those of you who have been here the whole time, you're probably like nine years. Has it really been nine years already? Or maybe you're like, "Good grief, golly, we put on for this guy. What we'll put up with this guy for far too long? I don't know, right? But um, nine years ago, March 15th, we closed on our house. Um, March 17th was supposed to be our first sermon, or our first Sunday, uh, and we had no church, because we got eight inches of snow on the 16th. Um, so we had no church on the 17th. The next week was Easter. Um, and we had a, I believe, a high attendance of in the 50s, actually, and the church at the time had been running 20. So let me tell you, or, or, or say just a little bit about this. Number one, I am thankful for you. I appreciate you guys I, uh, more than you could probably imagine. Um, I think that the Lord is at work. He's been at work in a in nine-year period, and I believe He's just on the cusp of things. And I've said this multiple times, and it seems like every time I've said it, something has happened afterwards. Like the last time I believe I did say something like this, that I felt like the Lord was moving in a great way, that our people were getting on board and COVID happened. And that was like a squash on everything that we uh, wanted to try or attempt and felt like was going on. But here's really where we're going. With our new sermon series called Who's Your One? This is something that multiple churches around the United States and around the world have done. The Southern Baptist Convention's uh, evangelistic emphasis is on this idea of who's your one. So you can go online, you can look this up. Now, I will tell you this, that the sermons are mine, okay? So just because we're, we're doing this, the sermon is one that I have worked on and, and prepared for and things like that. But I want you to turn to Matthew chapter four. There's nothing new or exciting under the sun, but we're going to look today at Jesus' pursuit and his passion for people, right? Jesus' pursuit and his passion for people as he uh, relates or calls the first disciples. So, Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, give you an idea of what's gone on in the first couple chapters. We see the genealogy of Jesus, right? We see his, his, his genealogy, we see his birth, we see things like that that are taking place. And then we jump into Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, we saw John the Baptist preparing the way. Then we see the temptation of Jesus. After his baptism in, in Matthew chapter 4, and now his, his temptation has been complete, he began to move on, he begins to preach, and as, after his first sermon, he's walking along. So I give you the context of what's taking place in the gospel of Matthew here and what's going on. So verse 18, it says this, as Jesus was what? Walking, all right? As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother, Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus says this, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And it says, at once they left their nets, and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. And they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat, and their father, and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the, 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 the truth that we can glean from here. We thank you for your heart and your passion to pursue after people. And Lord, we also thank you for your call. And so Lord, as we look at this idea of what it, what it means to, to focus on who our one is, God, that you would just stir up inside of us The name of a person, the face of a person that we have been called to share the gospel with, a person that we could be praying for daily, day in and day out, that we pray that we would have opportunities to love on and serve them and show them the love that you have for them as well. And so, Lord, we pray that you use this in a great way, that we as the church, we individuals within the church would see that it is your heart it's your heart's desire to see others come to faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Consider what it means or what comes to mind when I tell you the term or word politician. Nope. <laughs> right. Like, just, just consider it. Okay. Or consider what comes to mind when I say Chiefs fans. Or <laughs> consider it. No one. <Don't> just... <laughs> just joking, or Broncos fans. Yeah, there we go. I told you, consider it. Come on. (laughs) Okay. All right. When you think about that, or or, or let's go maybe a little bit step further, right? When I say World War II vet, or when I say a faithful believer, or if I was to throw out the term Gen Xer, or baby boomer, or millennial, Right? All of us in some way, shape, or form have this identity or a thought process about what we're gonna think about that person or those individuals, right? Like if I was to throw out Raiders fans, sorry, Greg. <laughs> right? I throw out Raiders fans, all my Raider fans, buddies back in the day, it was like, Yeah, don't wear your stuff around them. Because you might get killed. Right? Like like there's there's one stadium I would not go wearing my Broncos stuff to. That's <laughs> Well, I guess it's Las Vegas now, but that would have been Oakland back in the day, right? I mean, there were just certain things that come about, certain ideas. But I want you to ask yourself this question. What comes to mind when you hear the term Christian? Or what comes to mind when somebody says the church at Three Trails? See, the truth of the matter is, as we begin to look at what Jesus does when the calling of these first disciples comes out, is that people have a mindset About what it means to be a follower of Jesus. People have a mindset about what it means to be a a Christian. As a matter of fact, if you were to look at the, the, the term, Christian isn't really brought up very much in Scripture. As a matter of fact, Christian was a derogatory term that unbelievers would call people who had faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus consistently goes throughout and he says, disciples, followers, they're my people. And so there's this idea, especially in the American culture, that if you're, if you're a person who grew up in America, you must be a Christian. While that's furthest from the truth, there are a lot of people who would say, well, I grew up going to church, or my mom and dad was a Christian, so I'm a Christian too. And what we've got to do is we've got to get to the heart and understand that the word Christian is is is, to a certain extent, by many, carried to communicate what It is about a follower of Jesus. But listen, a disciple of Jesus is a far more accurate, more compelling description of exactly what it means to be a person who follows Jesus Christ. And I believe that we're going to see that this concept of a disciple exposes the fact that many who claim to be Christians are not in reality Christians or disciples of Jesus in the first place. So as I lay that out, I want you to think about it this way. I believe that Jesus pursues us out of a passionate love that he has for us so that, listen, so that we can show others that passionate love as well, right? That Jesus pursues, and what I'm going to do as we unpack this is to let you see and let us see how we can apply this text to our lives so that we can begin to understand why Jesus is all about seeing others come to faith in him. Right? Why is it that Jesus is passionate about seeing people know who he is and to follow him on a daily basis? So if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. This is the big statement for today, right? To lead others to Jesus, I must be a follower first. To lead others to Jesus, I have to be a follower first. And that's the reality of what takes place in the life of believers. A lot of times, as I deal with people and we start to talk about what it means to share my faith and what it means to be praying for somebody, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a a Christ follower in today's world, there's lots of people who would sit back and go, yeah, I'm a Christ follower. Or they would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But yet at the same time, their lifestyle and their choices and their actions deny Jesus by the very thing with which they do. So to lead others to Jesus, I must be a follower first. But as we look at that, I want us to see some things today. Number one, I want you to see this: that Jesus pursues us where we are. Listen to what happens again. It says, "As Jesus was, what? Walking. In other words, Jesus is going through his daily life. As a matter of fact, I mean let's... Let's be honest, he didn't have a job to, say, to, to an extent, right? He wasn't the person who was going to work and stuff like that. Jesus had a mission. He had this ministry that he was coming to fulfill and do, which, which would lead to his death on the cross and then eventually his resurrection. But what we have to begin to see is this, that Jesus pursues us where we are. And what he's doing as he's, as he's walking along, he is pursuing after these four disciples, Peter and Andrew, and then James and John. And what I want you to see or want you to understand is this that Jesus pursues each and every one of us. He's pursued us by his death on the cross. Like Jesus, when he came down, the reason he was born, the reason he was born of a virgin, born of Mary, the reason he goes through everything that he goes through to the point of going to the cross, to die on the cross, to shed his blood as a covering or as an atonement for our sins, is for us to understand that he has a pursuit for us, that God is good. When I was growing up, and, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night, when I was growing up... We used to say this, God is good all the time, all the time, God is. For some reason, there's, there's this mentality amongst believers that that's not the case. That the case is that when the going gets tough or when I'm walking through the valley, that God all of a sudden isn't good. When the truth of the matter is, according to Scripture, God is good all the time, And so when we look at this idea of Jesus pursuing us, what we're seeing is the goodness of God, that God provides the pursuit of Jesus towards the lost, toward those who were in most need of him in the first place. Now, here's what's crazy. Jesus calls these guys before they really even understand what it means to be a follower. Do you get that picture? Jesus calls the first disciples And yet they don't know a clue about him. They don't understand him. They don't know what he's going to teach. They don't know what he believes. They just know that something's going on. And Jesus pursues these four individual men in a way to show them, I believe wholeheartedly, to show them the grace and the goodness of God in their lives while he fulfills the very reason for which he came, which was his death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus, listen, Jesus pursues you where you're at. Jesus, I believe, is knocking on the door of some of your hearts, pursuing you. And to a certain extent, you may be sitting back saying, I'm just not going to answer the door. The cost is going to be too high. And so as we look at this idea of what it means to have a one or who's your one, I want to dig in and understand this today, that Jesus pursues us where we're at. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says this, we love because he, what? First loved us. Here's the beauty and the goodness of God, right? We love. So all of love in your life should be an extension of the love that God shows first and foremost in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We love because he first loved us. This is why it's important when we talk about relationships and everything else that love is not a fleeting feeling. That's where marriages oftentimes struggle because, listen, you're going to go through rocky times, you're going to go through the valley, you're going to be dragged across the pit, and there's going to be a time where you're going to wake up and you're going to look at your wife and go, man, I don't know that I love you that much. Or maybe she's just going to look at you and go, yeah, tell me about it, buddy, I've been putting up with you for way too long. When love is a feeling or love is built upon that emotion, then what we begin to understand is that it can go, it can vanish because the emotions don't feel right. The feelings aren't just not so well. But when we realize that we love because God first loved us, then love is an extension of what God's doing in our heart. The second thing I want you to see, Psalm 34, verse 8. Listen to this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 119, verse 68 says, you are good and what you do is good, Lord. And so as the Lord is pursuing us, what we're beginning to see is the goodness of God. That as Jesus is running toward a person, running towards each and every one of us. Listen, where he calls Andrew and Simon Peter, you could kind of put your name in there because he's calling you. He's knocking at the door. He's saying, hey, come and follow me. And so there's this idea of this pursuit. Jesus pursues us where we are. A matter of fact, John 15 verse 16 says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so this idea of Jesus pursuing us, it says very point Blake that if we are to be in Christ, if we are disciples of Christ, that Jesus chose us, Jesus called us, Jesus was knocking at the door, but yet at the same time, it's a response that we give, that we didn't suppress the truth in our heart, but we opened it up and we said, Jesus, I'm letting you in. So there's this idea that Jesus pursues us, but I want to dig a little bit deeper as we look at this, because here's what happens? As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, which is north of the Dead Sea, the Jordan River flows between the two. It says he saw these two brothers, Simon and Peter, or Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And it says they were casting their net into a lake, for they were fishermen. Now, every fisherman kind of looks and goes, whoa, we're going to be talking about fish, right? And we can talk about all kinds of things, because they're catching with a net. I don't know where modern-day fishing came about. I couldn't tell you that. You better talk to Greg on that bad boy, right? Greg probably got all that down, right? I don't know where the modern-day kind of, you know, with a rod and reel and things ever came from. I have no clue. But what I do know is this, that the idea of casting with a net and the idea of casting with a single rod and a hook is a little bit different, but at the same time, it carries the same connotation, Right? I can't fish with my lure or my hook or my bait out of the water. And likewise, you can't fish with the net out of water. It does no good to keep the net up on the boat. It does no good to keep your rod in and your your, your line spooled up or reeled in and the the lure or the hook just dangling. You got to have your hook or, or, or your net in the water. So as we begin to look at this, I want you to see this. Number two, that Jesus invites us to follow him. So Jesus, number one, is the one who pursues a relationship with us. Number two, Jesus then invites us to follow him. So he says this, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So I want to focus on those three words there, right there. Come and follow me. See, his primary call is not to do something, but rather to follow him, to become like him. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is an individual who would sit at the feet of Jesus and begin to let his word infiltrate their heart. And begin to say, does my life line up with what scripture is calling me to do? That's a, big, that's a big thing we have to begin to understand. In today's world, our world wants to say, well, it's okay. You can do these things. God knows your heart. When the reality is that God knows your heart. Yes, according to scripture, your heart is deceptively Wicked. It is deceitful. It is unclean. It is impure. All our righteousness is like filthy rags. So it's important for us when we talk about this idea of what it means to follow Jesus. A, a following idea is what he's saying is come and be like me. Now, in that, in that time frame, Jesus would have easily touched on a nerve. And here's the reason why. By the age of 10, All the young men, all the young boys who grew up in a Jewish household would have known the law. And I'm not talking about just the Ten Commandments. Like we look at our kids and we're like, oh, it's so great. You got ten Bible verses memorized. Please hear me out. I'm not going to knock it. But by the age of ten in the Jewish family, you had to know all the law Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they would quote it. They knew it. It was an oral society. And by the age of 10, they would know that, right? And if they knew that, then they would go on and they would be determined, these students or these kids would go on and study the remainder of the Old Testament. At age 17, if you wanted to go on and make a career out of being a religious leader or or through religious studies, then your next step was to find a rabbi. You would find a teacher that you admired and you would apply to become like that teacher, to sit at the feet of that teacher or that rabbi. Now, here's the crazy thing about it. That rabbi could then go, your application don't meet up. Not gonna happen. It's not worthy for me to pour my life into you. I'm gonna throw these persons away. So the rabbis would select what we'll call the cream of the crop or the top people. And then the others would just be kind of cast off to the side. And now here comes Jesus. Jesus. Jesus shows up, he's pursued after these individuals and what's he do? He just throws it out and says, hey, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, come sit at my feet. Learn to follow me. Learn to obey me. Learn my word and what it means and follow that and let that be the guide with which you succeed in everything. So Jesus invites us to follow him. He invites us to follow his life. He invites us to follow his teachings. He invites us to align or or to follow his love. We must align our lives under his authority. That's why whenever I deal with anything, any issue under the sun, that I have to align myself under the truth and the authority of God's word. If all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, and rebuking, and training in all righteousness, then I align myself under the authority of God's word as a disciple of Jesus. Because either Jesus is who he said he is, or he's not. And if I believe that Jesus is died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. I believe he is the one who points me to everlasting life. He is the the one who provides everlasting life for me. If I believe that his sacrifice was good enough, then I align myself under his word. And when I align myself under his word, then I have to bring into check anything that's out of the ordinary or out of the authority of his word. So it could be, finances. The finances in my life, is it under the authority of God's word? The relationships in my life, are they under the authority of God's word? How I respond to those who are outside the walls of the church or who are outside, not related with, in other words, my relationship with the lost. Is it under the authority of God's word? Do I look at lost people and go, man, they need to act more like Jesus when all the time we deny Jesus by our lifestyle in front of him. And then we look at the world and we begin to go, man, well, I don't know, understand why the world's going this way. So the truth of what is going on here is that Jesus invites these men to follow him. And here is the awesome thing. The power for what his disciples would do would come through who? Jesus. Listen to what he says. Come follow me, Jesus said, and who will make you fishers of men? You, right? Your heart, your desire, your passion, your love. No. Jesus said, Come follow me, and I will make you. See, here's, here's the reality in the life of believers. Here's the reality in the life of a disciple. A disciple realizes, that your number one role is to always sit at the feet of Jesus and to follow him. When I follow him, obediently listening to his word, aligning myself or placing myself under the authority of scripture, then what ends up happening is this, that scripture speaks truth into my life because I've aligned my life under the authority of Jesus. And when it speaks truth in my life, then Jesus does the amazing. Then Jesus does those things that helps us become the very thing he wants us to be. So when we start talking about who's your one, the reason I believe a lot of us struggle is this. We can't give what we ain't got. When you're not willing to sit at the feet of the rabbi or the teacher, you're not gonna be able to pour out into other people when you don't have what you you need. The first call in order to, to, to see people come to faith in Christ is to be a follower first. I've used this example before, but I, I will stand by this. Anytime somebody who says, hey, I want to be a leader within the church, all you got to do is go, okay, hey, I want you to do something small. So back when I first felt called to ministry, I went up to our college pastor at, my, at, at our church in Springfield, and I said, hey, I, I feel like God's calling me to ministry. I want to help out. Thinking he's gonna give me like a Bible study to lead or some people to be over. And he goes, Great. See this pulpit thing here? Yep, bring it out every Sunday. I was like, What kind of crud is that? What dude just told me? That, like, I just said I wanted to do anything, and you're asking me to bring out a music stand. So I did it. Day in, day out, every Sunday. He'd get up, that was there, no big deal. Obviously not, you know, people are like, man, look at Brian. He's bringing that out every Sunday. Nope. Nope. And after, I don't know, know, I've said it before, maybe six weeks, probably longer than that. After a while, he came up to me and he goes, you've never once complained about this. I'm like, why would I complain about this? It's a stupid music stand. I set it up, I take it down, set it up, take it down, set it up, take it down. And he goes, well, everybody wants to lead, but nobody ever wants to follow. Everybody wants to be Peter and James and John, but nobody realized that Peter, James, and John had to sit at the feet of Jesus. So in order to be a person who sees friends and neighbors and coworkers come to Christ, please hear me out when I say this. We have to be followers first. A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus first. And when I talk about this, it is a person who, yes, follows him, but we follow his teaching. We follow his law. We follow his love. We follow his wisdom that he gives us. The Bible is very clear that a person who does not put into practice what they say they believe is a fool and has no life in them. So when I talk about this, please hear me out when I say this. The number one role of every believer is to be a follower first. And as I follow, guess what? Jesus then puts me into leadership positions, allows me to step into these areas because I've been a follower and I've been obedient in the small things. He who is faithful in the small things will be given what? More. So listen what he says. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This, this plays out. and We have to begin to understand that Jesus doesn't pursue. Keep this in mind. Jesus didn't pursue the best or the brightest, or the strongest, or the most wise. Jesus just says, I'm going to those who are willing. I am calling those who want something more, who want to experience life. See, God wants to use you in your family, in your work, in your, in your everyday activities, where you are at. And trust me, I think I'm a great example because I'm just a little dude From a small town in Wyoming who just said, God, whatever it takes, you asked me for it, you called me to it, I'll be obedient to it. Not the brightest tool in the shed, my wife will tell you that, or sharpest, wait, best tool in the shed maybe, not the brightest bulb of the bunch, right? Not the smartest dude in the world, that's a guarantee, but God chooses the weak things of the world, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, to shame the wise. So listen, when when Jesus invites us to follow him, he doesn't ask you to bring up your past. He doesn't ask you to go, well, God, I'm, I'm not the best. He just says, are you willing? Come, follow me. And then the number three, I want to focus on this. Jesus gives us a new title in that. Listen to what he says. So he says, come and follow me and I will make, so we take away this or take this under consideration, I will make you fishers of The Bible is very clear that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. In other words, he gives us a new title. You are now a disciple of Jesus. You are called to be a follower. You are to sit at the feet of Jesus. And immediately, listen, as a result, because of this new title that Jesus gives them, it says that immediately they left their boats. Matter of fact, it says not only did some leave their boats, but the other two left their Father And I ask this question, why why would Jesus or why would Scripture identify these two things? And I believe wholeheartedly that these two things carry significant weight in our life, our jobs and our relationships. When Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, his question to these guys is, are you willing to leave your job? Are you willing to leave a relationship? Now, Let me clarify quickly on some of this. I believe that Jesus is calling us to be disciples right where we're at as well. So don't get up and go, well, Jesus told me to quit my job. I'm so following Jesus, I'm quitting. No, he also told us to work hard, to be wise, to make the most of every opportunity, to use your hands and feet for the glory of God. Okay? But if Jesus gives me a new title. With this idea of fishers of men, then I have to ask this question, God, what is it going to cost me to follow you? It may cost friendships. It may cost relationships because I have to align myself under the authority of God's word. But I also want to be clear in this. I believe that it is okay to have relationships with lost people, (laughs) okay? People who don't know Jesus, you need to be around on a daily basis, doesn't mean you do what you do or do what they do. Doesn't mean you say what they say. Doesn't mean you believe like they believe. But what it does mean is that I have a relationship with people who don't know Jesus so that I could be Jesus or represent Jesus to those who are far, far, far from him. So just like Jesus was a fisher of men, his followers would become fishers of men. This is an essential part of being a disciple. As a matter of fact, it's important for us to understand it's not something that only a few of us do. It's something that each of us is called to do, to be a fisher of men. There's no such thing. Please hear me out when I say this. There's no such thing as a non-reproducing disciple of Jesus. No such thing as a non-reproducing disciple of Jesus. Like there are people who get married and never have kids. But there's no such thing as a person who is in a relationship with Jesus who will not make a disciple. I believe the reason oftentimes we're not into making disciples is because we're not good followers first. So we're going to emphasize that. Over the next year, we're going to really hammer out our discipleship stuff and things like that. But please hear me out when I talk about this. When we talk about this who's your one, we saw the sermon bumper and this idea of what it means to communicate, what it means to have one. I'm asking you to pray specifically for one person you can have a conversation with, that you can work towards having conversations with, to eventually share the gospel. And we're going to make it super simple for you. Because the gospel isn't hard. You'll hear, like in our Annie Armstrong video here in just a little bit, you're going to hear statements like this, like, you may be the only gospel somebody ever hears or sees. But we have to communicate the gospel, right? So we're going to have things up here. Like, matter of fact, we've got them back there on that back table. You can easily invite somebody to church. This is not sharing the gospel. This is just a simple way for you to invite somebody to church. This is just for Easter. We have these on a regular basis. You can invite them to join us Easter Sunday. We've got door hangers back there. If you want to go to your neighbors up and down the block, last week we talked about who's my neighbor, right? Grab 10 or 20 of these. Go down the door. Hang it on their doorknob. That's all you got to do. You can knock if you want to. You can go to their door and invite them that way. But please hear me out when I also say this. This is just an invite to church. It takes you taking the next step to share the gospel. What's the gospel? Jesus was born. Jesus lived a life of perfection, a sinless life, showing us how to live. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the world. His blood was shed to cover or remove us, according to, according to Scripture, to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. And he rose again. The gospel in a nutshell, you can do it in 20 seconds. Jesus lived. Jesus lived. Jesus died for our sins, shedding his blood on the cross for my sins, and he rose again, defeating sin, defeating death, and offering us life more abundantly. Do you know how many people don't know the gospel? They've heard, come to church. They've heard, be a good person. They've heard, don't do this and do this. But oftentimes, people don't hear the gospel. And so we're going, to, we're going to talk about that. We've got a link on our website even. You can go and click on the Jesus link. There's some videos, the gospel in six words. There's life in, in three circles that you can look at that easily share the gospel on those ways. They're in video form. You could even take your friends to it. And you can say, hey, watch this video and tell me what you think but it's a gospel opportunity that I share the gospel with those who are around me. So as I said this, as I want to close this, listen to what he says in in John chapter 15. Jesus says this, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Which means, listen, that everything that we do grows out of the call to follow, and as we follow, we produce fruit. The reason oftentimes evangelism seems so hard is because we've made following difficult. Because we don't sit at the feet of Jesus. I think evangelism is simply out of what God is doing in my life, I share the truth of the gospel. In other words, the Bible says it this way. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Like I could sit up here and teach you the Romans road. We could talk about the four spiritual laws. We could talk about life in three circles. I could talk about the gospel in six words. I could do share your faith without fear. But the simple fact is that the gospel is something that I speak out of the overflow of the heart because God will not allow me to stay silent because Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. In other words, Jesus does the building. Jesus is the one who gives you the words. Jesus is the one who encourages you to pray for and share that hope with those who don't have a relationship with him. So, when we ask about who's your one, here's what I'm wanting you to do. Maybe in a journal, maybe in your Bible, maybe on a piece of paper that you have, that you put a name of somebody on your, I believe that God has sparked it in your heart already. He's already giving you that idea, that thought, that person that you're going to pray for consistently with the opportunity to share the gospel with day in and day out. To love on, to serve, to encourage, to listen to, and to speak the truth to. Father, we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. That God, as Jesus was walking, as he was, as he was going through life, that he put that call out there, that he called these disciples to come and follow him. And the promise that we have, that he is the one who makes us. He is the one who builds us up. He is the one who has a plan for our life. He is the one who develops and grows and matures us as we sit at his feet, as we take in his word, as we learn to be obedient to what he's called us to do. So God, may we be good followers first. And as a result of us just sitting at your feet and following God, that we would see a great harvest because we know the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.